crazy. I told you my father had more money Ice than... away, Jack. Are you going to listen to me or don't you understand? Gangway, boy. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched Captain's Courageous, starring Spencer Tracy and Freddie Bartholomew. And I guess also Lionel Barrymore really does star in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird. It is weird. Mickey Rooney is in it, as we mentioned last week, but like barely. <laughs> yeah. Though th- he is, in fact, terrible casting for the part that he has. Is he? I, I mean, he doesn't do anything. Well, doesn't. I, mean, I feel like a cardboard cutout could have played that role. Well, yeah. Isn't he the one that decks him, though? Like, in that. I kind of inherently want to take the side against Mickey Rooney. Does he Does he punch him? He's just the kid on the ship. Oh, Mickey Rooney's the kid on the ship? I thought Mickey Rooney was the kid at the beginning. No, no. Oh, he's... He's Disco's son. Oh, then he's... Yeah, then he's... Like the older boy. Yeah. He's totally nondescript. Yeah, for sure. I didn't even recognize him. He is absolutely fine. <laughs> and Freddie Bartholomew is, in fact, absolutely fine, because as it turns out... Freddie Bartholomew is perfectly good casting if you want the first half of your movie to be child abuse. (laughs) Apparently. He does keep getting typecast. Yeah. But I guess we should explain the plot of this film because like all films with boats, there's not much of it. (laughs) That's that's true. There's there is so little plot in this movie, (laughs) which I even thought during the movie. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Like, all of Act 2, the character that is developed the most is Boat. <laughs> I felt like Techniques of Fishing was the most developed yeah. character. But yeah, sure. Freddie Bartholomew plays Richie Rich, who's just a real piece of shit, <laughs> and goes to his... Pri- Harvey Chain. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, goes to his private school and brags about his rich dad and tries to bribe everybody into getting everything that he wants. That goes badly for him. Until he's kicked out of school and has to hang out with his dad, who is apparently bad, but not bad in a way any father has ever been ever. Just completely checked out in such a bizarre way. He's a business tycoon of never described or mentioned business. (laughs) No, just, yeah, general business and also so, like, so cavalier and hands off about Not just his own son, but also just, like, the business that he supposedly is spending all of his time on. He, like, gets updates on shit, but is constantly like, oh, that's all right, old boy, about everything. He's such a weird character that it's really fine that he goes away after about 20 minutes of the movie when the kid falls off a boat. He's not even, like, an asshole dad. No! His kid gets expelled from boarding school, and he's like, well, okay, I guess we'll just go to Europe. Can you imagine what a shit of a kid you have to be (laughs) for another kid to punch you in the face and for your teacher, your headmaster, and your own dad to all have basically no reaction to that? To be like, I mean, to be fair, other kids also would have punched him is like wild. I mean, he is a he is an absolute shit. Oh no, he is a fucking horror show. And the the, yeah. <laughs> the main thing that's weird is that the teacher and headmaster keep going, oh well he's inherently a good boy. And it's like, no he's not. He's really not. 
he's the worst. Yeah, what evidence at all do you have for that? That, like, deep down there's a good child underneath there. Yeah, no, like, if they were like, this kid might be the kid from The Omen, I would be way more on board with, like, he's, he's whip smart. Like, um, anyway, he... He falls off a boat straight into real America when he gets picked up by a, a fishing trawler that... Straight into real America, yes. That is gonna not care about any of his rich kid bullshit. He makes friends with Spencer Tracy doing what I eventually gathered was supposed to be a Portuguese accent, but that took me a while to figure out and definitely took several lines of dialogue from other characters. They had to literally say that he was speaking Portuguese at one point for me to know. But he is playing this character named Manuel. Manuel kind of takes... What's the kid's name, Henry? Harvey. Harvey. God, I could not care less. Under his wing about fishing. To be fair, he gets called Jonah for like a long time. Right. It's not until like, I don't know how long he's been on the fishing ship, but it's been like long enough that he has learned how to work on a boat. And then they're like, oh, so your name's Harvey, huh? (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) It's been months because that's near the end of the film. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They go through a series of fishing-related bonding exercises until (laughs) Manuel becomes his surrogate father figure and then, of course, tragically dies because we're in Act 3 right before they get back to shore. Which, by the way, that other ship is entirely responsible for. Yeah. And no one really talks about that. Yeah. That, like... Them being a dick killed a man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> they had like a, a rivalry with this other ship, but fuck it. Anyway, they get back to shore. Harvey Jonah Henry is a completely changed man boy who just wants his friend father back, goes to a church to pray about how much he wants his friend father back, and then gets his dad to build a hilariously huge monument two fishermen who who died at sea, and then he and his dad are apparently going to go on a bonding fishing trip, and that's our uplifting ending that has Manuel smiling down on them from, I guess, heaven, but it's really just a, like, just, uh, uh, like, they just intercut the shot of him smiling. Yeah, I think that was actually a shot they used earlier in the movie, so I think it was just, like, Harvey remembering him. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. There is also, like, that whole weird sequence about, like, how they fish up in heaven and, be, you know, like, yeah. Jesus is the fisher of men and we are gonna really drag that out as long as we fucking can. Yep. And... <laughs> Drag that out as long as we fucking can is a pretty good description of the middle hour of this film. Yes. Yeah. It's not a short movie. No. It's just under two hours to go through all of that. I take it that your experience of watching this film probably ended up coloring your perspective on it? I think that's probably true. If you want to describe your experience. Uh, Yes, God was trying to save me from this film (laughs) because I rented it on Amazon and then Amazon would not play it, told me every device in my house had a bad internet connection, even though it was streaming video from every other service on Earth just fine. Got it on another video service, didn't work that way, decided to steal it so I would stop renting this fucking movie I didn't want to (laughs) watch. 
that wouldn't play more than three minutes at a time and then tried to download it and the download would start for five seconds and then crash down and tell me it would be eight hours before it was done downloading. So I just watched this almost two hour movie over the course of four hours in three minute chunks that would then start stutter stopping. Uh, and I would have to f- like stop for five minutes and let it load more and then come back to it, which I do think is the absolute worst way to watch this film. Or any film. <laughs> oh, sure. But I do think there's films that move, you know, fast enough. We're sort of like the where three minutes is sort of the standard amount of time for a narrative beat. Yeah, like Libeled Lady, you would have gotten through two. <laughs> yeah. This movie, I'd watch three minutes of a scene, figure out what the rest of the scene was going to be, sit there for five minutes not watching this film, watch the back half of the scene and go, yep, seems about right. And then go like, I wonder what the next scene of them fish bonding will be. And then find out five minutes later. There is a lot of fish bonding. (laughs) It's funny that this is the second movie that we've watched and in back to back years, where fishing is like a major plot device. Yeah. I mean, more so in this movie, because they literally are on a fishing boat in the middle of the sea. So like, what else are they going to do? But yeah, there's a lot of fishing. Though the props master for this movie got way better fish than the one for Libeled Lady. I kind of thought the same thing. When they pull in a fish, it's a big fish. There's a couple of sequences of like sailing that are pretty impressive. But every time there's a fish, I'm like... God, the prop master's going all out. Like they, that is a 35 pound fish and it's alive. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of shots of like fish in the bottom of a boat. Like the whole bottom of the boat is covered in fish and they're definitely alive. This was certainly before you expected to see no animals were harmed in the making of this film because a shitload of fish died making this movie. Oh yeah. Like a lot. So I actually didn't hate this movie, which is not to say that I liked it, but I think going in, I was so nervous about it because it had actors who consistently show up in shit we hate and the thing on the poster, which was like as great as Mutiny on the Bounty. And when I finished it, I was like, it was a lot better than Mutiny on the Bounty. I agree. I disliked watching this film, but I thought this film was basically fine. Like, I cared when Spencer Tracy died, and I didn't think that would ever happen. Right? (laughs) And, like, Freddie Bartholomew does really good work with both being an insufferable little shit for the first half of this movie and genuinely making me care about, like, making me feel how much he cares about the loss of this sort of surrogate father figure in the last act. He does really good work. He has a really good character arc. Like, his character actually grows in a way that makes sense. You know, so often in these movies, we see the, like, oh, they're a shit. And then because the movie demands that now they're not, they're suddenly a not, and we're supposed to just understand that. And as plot unimportant as all of the fishing moments are, they are important to the development of his character. But again, it's like, he's like a nine-year-old boy or something. (laughs) Maybe 11, maybe. (laughs) 
Definitely preteen. Yeah. I do also have to give it credit, as much as I am saying it is predictable, and a lot of it is super predictable, like the sequence where he keeps demanding to be brought back to shore and saying he'll never ever help out is like, you're gonna help out on the fucking boat, kid. Can we get to the part where you're gonna help with the boat? Right. There are some nice swerves to the way he develops into a not-shit little kid. Yeah. There are some moments that are genuinely like, Oh, now that's, it, it isn't overnight. He still does have the impulse to do it the old way, just on a fishing boat. And that's kind of interesting. One of those, for example, is there's a sailor on the ship who is unreasonably handsome for this role. Oh yeah, no, he's terribly cast in that, like, no, like, he's just like. gorgeous. Why would he ever leave shore? Everybody's wife is banging him constantly <laughs> when the fishermen are out to sea. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe that's why he had to leave shore. <laughs> I, I guess. But, yeah, I, I don't know who plays him, because I don't even remember. Yeah, who is John? Oh, it's John Carradine. Is he Long Jack? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Long Jack is not the captain of the other ship. Yeah, so John Carradine was bonkers beautiful when he was young, and, like, really tall and handsome, and, d- d- yeah, it was nuts. His jawline, like... He is that he has the jaw like a cartoon pilot joke from 30 Rock. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But anyway, he is really frustrated that they picked up the kid at all because, and this is how he gets the nickname Joda, because, like, you know, they saved him from the sea. But their, like, sailor superstition is that if you have somebody on board the ship who's a passenger and not working, that it's bad luck. And he kind of is a. I wouldn't say that, like, he's an asshole to Harvey. He just kind of, like, talks about him as if he's not there and is not comfortable with the fact that they have him on the boat. Yeah, he's more an asshole to Manuel about not being an asshole to Harvey. (laughs) Yes. Like, why are you being nice to this kid? Why did you have to pick him up? Anyway, there's a point where they get into some... I I don't remember why they get into this bet, but they decide that they're going to have a bet where if Manuel and Harvey don't get more fish than Long Jack gets on this one day, then Manuel has to give Long Jack his like brand new safety razor, which I guess is like a really important thing when you're on a boat. Harvey's methodology here is that he ties the net and the lines and everything for Long Jack in knots which results in Long Jack getting a fish hook in his arm. I'm not clear as to how that actually resulted in that, but it does. And it's so specific, it feels like a thing that is A, in the book, and therefore B, would actually work somehow. Sure, okay. Yeah, I was also (laughs) deeply confused as to how making a net be even more of a net results in you getting a fish hook through your arm. But apparently it does. Yeah. Yeah. When Harvey tells Manuel that he did it, and that's why he got the fish hook in his arm, because he wanted to make sure that Manuel didn't lose his safety razor, Manuel is really mad at him and is like, you know, you can't do that. That's not honorable or whatever the case is. But even though he's like now gotten to a point where he has an affection for another person and he's not just looking out for himself and his own stuff, he's still going about it in the like spoiled brat way. (laughs) 
and that's like pretty far along in the movie where you think, oh, he's not a little shit anymore. So yeah, it is. I mean, it does have like a nice, interesting question mark narrative arc for Freddy, but kind of nobody else has one. And so the story is like, I just want to stress you did get his name wrong just now. What? What did I call him? Freddy. Oh, yeah. Freddy Bartholomew as opposed to Harvey. Oh, yes. Yeah. That makes sense. So Freddy is the actor. Harvey is the character. <clears throat> it has a good narrative arc for Freddy to perform. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Honestly, I now feel like I was just getting you on a technicality. I just wanted to be not the only one that kept forgetting his name was Harvey. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there's a nice narrative arc there. I think the big beats, uh, I, like, I think Spencer Tracy's performance is meh. But I don't hate him. No, I don't hate him either. Which is such a huge step up from everything else. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think just like, listen, it just works. Just like surrogate father figure bonding. You spend all the time with this guy. They like clearly form this connection. And then the guy dies is like, that's well, just going to work. I don't necessarily credit Spencer Tracy a huge deal of that. I think he didn't screw it up, and I don't think he, like, gave a terrible performance, like I, I'm saying. I just think that's like a dog dying in a movie. Like, of course, <laughs> like, of course you're gonna... Right, like, it's it, it makes you feel things. Yeah. I Oh, you know, I actually thought that Lionel Barrymore was great in this movie as the captain of the ship, because it's such a departure from anything that else that we've seen him do. It's like a huge comic turn. People are always so impressed when some big comedian does their like first dramatic role. And honestly, I feel like comedy is so much harder than drama <laughs> that it's more impressive to me having seen Lionel Barrymore do a very bad comic job in Romeo and Juliet to see him do a successful one in this. I think so much rests on him being able to pull off this character in a way where like, it's okay that Manuel's Portuguese accent is a definite Portuguese accent question mark. It's okay that John Carradine is unreasonably handsome. It's okay that the captain's name is Captain Disco Troop. Because Lionel Barrymore really does inhabit this like mid-Atlantic sea captain character well enough that you're like, I, I get what boat we're on. Right, right. And he is really funny, but he's not incompetent in any way. You're like, oh, no, he's a totally competent captain, but he's also a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And not in like an Ahab way, <laughs> like in a fun way. In a keeps yelling at his rival boat captain across the ocean <laughs> way. So they have a rivalry with this other boat that's never really explained because they're kind of nice to all the other ships. But apparently Walt Cushman, the other captain, is just a total dick. Yeah, until the, until the very end, it definitely seems like something between, like, Jimmy Pesto from Bob's Burgers and, like, something they're really just doing for fun. Like, it, it doesn't seem like the stakes are that high. But then at the very end, Cushman basically tries to ram their ship to get them to turn around so he can win at getting back to shore. And I understand there's like an economic cost of not being first to market. And so the stakes were very high, but it was like, whoa, this is a very different energy than I was getting out of this rivalry from the whole rest of the film. Yeah, right? <laughs> 
that, that was very surprising to me. And then, you know, results in the death of a person and like there's no comeuppance for this. It definitely <laughs> seems like a, eh, shit just happens at sea. Given <laughs> the, how much it's like day five of Harvey's time on the boat. Here's the exact conversations he had. And like, it's so weird how deeply invested in minutia of his time on the boat it is that it then jump cuts immediately from Manuel dying to, well, they're back at shore and they've cleaned all that shit up and his dad's coming to get him. It's like, that seems like a very active couple of days we maybe could have watched. Yeah. There's also a black fisherman, which was nice, who is just a fisherman with everybody else. There's also a, a not just a fisherman with everybody else black ship's cook, which is a little less nice. I thought Sam McDaniel was playing both of those roles. I mean, you do have to have a cook on the ship, but yeah, I mean, he could it could have been not the only black character on the movie. Well, certainly there is at the sort of big memorial service for all lost fishermen at the end of the movie. There is a black family, which I thought was very nice. And they walk up with everybody else and throw their wreaths or whatever to the sea and are treated with the same level of dignity as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I didn't really like have a weird reaction to him being the cook because I have watched too many things on boats and like somebody has to be the cook. Yeah. I don't think he was presented as super duper negatively or anything. I think he kind of had to do some dialect work I didn't love. But other than that, I think the movie treated him pretty respectfully i mean he ate at the same table with everybody and like at one point was one of the like they leave the main ship and go out on these smaller boats to fish and he was like with somebody else and it seemed he was just part of the crew he also though is the older brother of hattie mcdaniel oh who eventually will win an oscar for playing a maid but who basically played the maid in every movie we've watched so far not everyone not in Three Smart Girls, but in a whole lot of them. Yeah. Do we have tons more to say about this movie? Because I'm... I really don't. It's just like, I mean, it's just kind of an open and shut kid goes to the wilderness, in this case, the sea, and becomes less of a shit <laughs> movie. Yeah. It is extremely cliched from 2018's or we're not in 2018. It's extremely cliched from 2019's perspective, too. Uh, but like you said, it does have some moments that are not totally obvious ways that you get from point A to point B, even though you know what point B is going to be. And even though the movie itself is still too impressed about being on a boat, I was actually significantly more impressed by some of the like cinematography around sailing in this movie than I was in Mutiny on the Bounty, especially that sort of last big race sequence. There was some really cool stuff in there. Again, I just, like, would kind of rather put my movie stat points elsewhere. But, like, if you're going to do it, then do it. And they did it. That, I think, deserves something. They didn't spend as much time doing the, like, shots of a boat sailing. Or when they did, it was, like, a dynamic shot. Like, we, we were watching the boat turn. We were watching the boat do something instead of, can you believe that we got an actual fucking boat? And it's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can <laughs> You're, you have a lot of money yeah. to make this movie. Also, boats have been around for like a really long time. <laughs> yeah. This is not technologically fascinating. Los Angeles, please tell me you don't think you invented boats. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, the the only real major, like, points against on this movie for me are Spencer Tracy playing a Portuguese person with this, like, ludicrous accent. But I started thinking back to the, the first talkie that we watched in old Arizona. And, like, was was Portuguese just the just enough exotic, but no one actually knows what Portuguese people sound like accent for Hollywood until, I don't know, like the 50s? I like it as the Alan Smithy of accent work. That, like, when the accent is unrecoverable, just say that it's Portuguese. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that totally makes sense. There is a point where he's, like, singing about something. Like, he's making up a song on the boat. And Freddy is like, you know that you're not even speaking French, right? And he says, yeah, 10 million people know that I'm not speaking French. It's Portuguese. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. Also, got it. <laughs> Manuel definitely does not seem like the kind of guy who knows the exact number of people who speak Portuguese in the world. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Where did he, like, get that number? <laughs> Just at one point, Harvey goes, like, there's this weird bit of dialogue where Harvey has figured out, like, every part of the boat. And Manuel's like, how'd you figure that out? And he was like, there's the sailing manual in the captain's quarters. I read it and I don't care who knows it. And it's like, who who would care? Also, <laughs> you learned all the... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting that it's 10 million people. Between Portugal and the former colonies of the Portuguese Empire, including Brazil, <laughs> there are 10 million speakers of the Portuguese language. Wait, who are you? <laughs> what did you do with Manuel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, rating this movie. Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, five? <laughs> Six? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted I'm tempted to bump it up to a 6 because it's it's fine. Um but it's also like it has a couple of things I think do recommend it and nothing that really drags that down. There really is not a big racist sequence in this besides just bad Portuguese accent work. There's no like god why is this even happening section of the movie. There's some boy we're really we're doing this, huh? sections, but like <laughs> That, to me, seems more kind of par for the course, that there's just sort of boring sections more than, like, oh god, oh god, oh god sections. Right. I, yeah, so I'd, I'd say six. Yeah, I, I guess a six. Sure. I don't know that I would say that you should watch it, though. Yeah, the main reason I would say you shouldn't watch it is, even though I know it's an intentional effect, Freddie Bartholomew is goddamn insufferable for the first hour of this film. Yeah, I mean, as, like, piece-of-shit, spoiled brat kids go, he's... I mean, he really takes the cake. I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> Both another kid and an adult man physically strike him, and you never think anything but, yeah. <laughs> Like <laughs> He gives a kid a first edition of Treasure Island with the understanding that that kid is going to get him into some kind of club at school or whatever. And then when the kid tries to give it back, he's like, no, it's a gift. And now you owe me something. And says that otherwise he's going to get his dad to take this other kid's dad's job away. And like, here's the bonkers thing about that is like. You spend enough time with the dad where you're like, where did this kid learn this? Was the mom the most evil person on earth? 
Because the dad... Yeah, that's a really good point, because the dad does not seem to have an evil bone in his body. Like, the teachers come to his house to talk to him, and I, I thought in that, I was like, it was a really different time when the teachers come to talk to the parent, and the teachers are like, yeah, your kid is terrible, and we're gonna have to suspend him, and the dad is like, oh, wow, okay, well, that seems... That seems fair and reasonable instead of the parent going to the teachers and being like, if you don't give my kids straight A's, I'm going to get you fired. Yeah. And like explicitly, he has donated shit tons of money to the school. And Mm -hmm. the headmaster, in fact, goes, it's precisely because you have donated so much that for the sake of the other kids, we have to punish your kid. And he's like, that's all just sporting, old boy. And it's like, what? What what rich tycoon in the history of ever has gone, oh, yes, I understand that my donation came with, like, my life being worse. Right, right. That all, that all makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, if anything in this movie is not believable, it's that more than a kid gets thrown off of a ship and luckily picked up by a fisherman. And then lives for like six months on their boat. And when the dad comes to get him, it's just like, oh, hey, I missed you, kid. Right. Instead of like, oh, my God, I've been so worried about you. How are there not reporters on shore? Right. And like a worldwide manhunt. Yeah. Like this kid has got to be like heir to one of the hundred biggest fortunes on the planet from the way that dad is going around in act one. And he falls off a boat and disappears for three months before they find out that he's mysteriously reappeared in a small fishing village in Massachusetts. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Every camera in the country is on that kid. That was the main part of the movie that was not believable at all. But also was like kind of refreshing. (laughs) Oh, sure. Like I didn't need 10 minutes of that. I was kind of ready for the movie to end and already going like 15 more minutes, huh? Yep. We're gonna we're gonna be mourning Manuel for that long. Yeah. But it was distracting of like they're just sitting down for dinner at the captain's place. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh yeah, so I mean you don't you don't need to watch it, but yeah. it's not gonna hurt you. If it's on Turner Classic Movies or something, this is one of those like yeah, maybe maybe try Turner Classic Movies for two hours. Yeah. But definitely don't pay $3 and then not get to watch <laughs> this movie and then pay $3 again. Yeah, no, I definitely don't recommend that. Uh, why is this film called Captain's Courageous? Uh, I have no idea. Okay, good. I, I just wanted to double check. I- that there wasn't I tried to think for like a really long time. I really thought the like boat at the end that he goes off in with his dad was gonna be called that or fucking something. Like I kept waiting for like Manuel to say it, or that was like what was gonna be on the big monument when you like th- I just was waiting for my big obvious captain's courageous moment. And I have no idea why this movie is called Captain's Courageous. I mean, it is the title of the novel, which apparently the book's title comes from the ballad Mary Ambry, which starts, When Captain's Courageous, Whom Death Could Not Daunt. That feels like a really heavy thing to give to a fishing boat. Okay, then definitely put that on the monument. Because the thing on the monument is like, what? It's like fishermen lost at sea, or... or 
who died at sea on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> to all the brave fishmen who are under the seas now or something where you're like, okay, okay, is this not just to Manuel? Because there's definitely been no, it's definitely a thing where it was supposed to just be to Manuel. And then the rich dad figured out like, that's going to seem really shitty now that I look at all the other very modest tombstones in this cemetery right to bring my money to this small town and build a 20-foot statue of my son's savior maybe we should just make it about all the fishermen lost at sea is that would that be okay harvey uh yeah i i that's the only answer that i have because it definitely never comes up and i kept waiting for the like oh maybe the boat is called courageous yeah same. No, it's called We're Here. Yeah. Which, by the way, is not a good boat name. Oh, I actually love it as a boat name. It's such a... It's... Like, listen, the other guy names it after either his wife or daughter. And I just kind of like shouting into the voidness of We're Here as a boat name. <laughs> like, yeah, what up, ocean? <laughs> We're a boat. <laughs> We're here. So, you know... All right. Yeah, well, as mystery not solved, but at least adequately resolved for me. Yeah, answered, but in no way solved. Yeah. (laughs) So next week is a movie I am dreading. Oh, yeah. Because it is The Life of Emil Zola. And we now... Starring... Yeah. Our greatest enemy. (laughs) A man I will teach my children to hate. Paul Mooney. Uh, and that I will teach your children to hate. <laughs> I don't plan on having any, so I need to borrow some kids to instill hatred of Paul Mooney in them. <laughs> Which sucks, because, like, Emil Zola as a human being was actually a pretty good dude. Yeah, and I think, like, if we had not just watched The Good Earth, I would be like, Oh, it's Paul Mooney in a bio flick. We've had okay luck with that in the past. Yeah, it's been fine. Nope. No, now I'm just going to be watching for whatever insufferable physicality thing he does. Yep. And just thinking like, God, you fucking piece of shit. You're going to (laughs) win awards after this. (laughs) You're going to have a long and illustrious career and I am pissed about it. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Ah. So, uh, I guess tune in next week to see how that all works out. God, yeah. I can't imagine he would be giving the performance of a lifetime if I forgave him after Good Earth. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman would be jealous of whatever performance he would have to give in this film. Yes, rest in peace. (sighs) Yeah, unlike Paul Mooney. (laughs) I don't care how you're resting. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, but I feel the same way. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Until then. This was a movie. It had maybe too much boat stuff, but it was still a movie. I think it had just enough boat stuff. Could have done with like 20 minutes less boat stuff, but that's okay. We know my stance on boat stuff and on movies. (laughs) We will always disagree about how much boat stuff should be in a movie, (laughs) but I think we feel the same way about movies. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. There's a school of fish way down deep in the sea Where the little fish study geography There they write on a slate and they read from a book 
Learn to run with the bait and just leave them no hook. Yeah, holy little fish, don't cry, don't cry. You'll be up a layer by and by with fins and a tail to help you sail and maybe some wings to help you fly. Yeah, holy little fish, don't cry, don't cry. Yeah, holy little fish, don't cry, don't cry.